Welcome back to the Tickle the Twine podcast. Uh, got a good episode this week. We're going to cover the uh, Southwest Division, and I think um, the Southwest Division is, is it's certainly pretty interesting uh, as a division goes. Um, they have two of the worst teams in the league, as well as uh, two of probably the three or four best, and so it provides a, a pretty good range of, of topics we're going to go over, talking about trade and futures, as well as um, what teams need for this season to perform in the playoffs. Um, and that, that'll be pretty key. Um, as I said, I'm going to try and um, cover kind of trade rumors um, as they happen and just kind of comment on them as we go along. Um, the big news this week is obviously that the short Charlotte Hornets, um, who, I talked to, uh, who I've talked about recently, mentioned that uh, Kemba is officially on the block and they're considering trading him. Um, I do mention him with one of the team breakdowns here, but I will we'll see uh, where he ends up going. I think there's a couple, uh, couple spots where he might land, but um, it's certainly interesting. I predicted when I talked about it, I didn't think Charlotte would would uh, would deal him, um, or at least especially not say they're open to dealing him. Um, I just did not see that coming from Michael Jordan just because of who he is as a who he was as a player and how he has acted as an owner. That didn't seem like something that they would kind of go along with doing or want to do. But either way, it's certainly interesting and adds some intrigue to a trade deadline that had been massed so far. Um, that coupled with a Cavs saying they're trying to pursue multiple deals, um, which will be interesting. I talked about that. They don't have a ton of assets, um, and these teams that the Cavs are pursuing should be just trying to extract as many assets as possible because the Cavs have just a complete and total lack of leverage. Um, but without further ado, um, let's get started with the Southwest Division. Um, I'm going to get started with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, they're 15 and 31, uh, 14th in the West, and they're four and six in the last 10. Um, the Mavs are kind of interesting uh, to me in just the fact that the, they have one of the worst records in the league, um, but they, they are definitely better than what their record is, um, and they're m- more fun to watch than their record would indicate. Uh, they have a negative 1.7 net, ra- net rating, which means they're actually underperforming their, uh, their, their net rating by about five and a half wins, so because of how, how they perform as a team, you'd expect them to win almost six more games than they have won right now, so... They're definitely kind of falling apart in close games and whatnot um, as part of that. Uh, they've, they've kind of been fun to watch. Um, they have some young guys. Dennis Smith is specifically interesting, but they do have some interesting stats that make them fun to watch. Um, they have the best offensive turnover, turnover rate in the league. They don't turn it over much, only 12.9% of the time. Um, they have the fourth best opponent's offensive rebound percentage, so they're holding teams, keeping teams off the glass. It's only 23 um, their effective field goal percentage is 11th at 52.6%. But the Mavs are the worst offensive rebounding team in the league, uh, which is 19.2%. Uh, that it, it limits their uh, easy ability to get easy points, which kind of holds down their offensive rating. But um, it kind of makes sense um, that they are they don't do that as much um, because they're trying to get back on defense. Um and they are. They also. Uh, they do not run in transition. They have the least frequently do they run in transition in the league. Um, this is largely because they don't do a good job of forcing turnovers, and um, they're they're twentieth, uh, only fourteen point five percent of the time to. Uh, can they turn the other team over? And like I said, they're committed to keeping other teams off the offensive glass, and because of that, they uh, keep more guys back to rebound. They don't let guys leak out as much. They're not sending guys on goes. Um, to find openings and so because and and as a result you have a low transition rate um they are 29th in transition efficiency to see when they do run so it seems like they're making a smart trade-off there um they shoot the fourth most threes in the league and are uh, making them at a top 10 rate so they're pretty accurate from three um 
They're the third best team when it comes to transition defense. Um, they're only allowing teams opponents to add two points per 100 possessions in the transition. Um, but they are the second worst <laughs> defense in the half court. And because and because of that combination, they're only they only have the twentieth team in the league. Um, um, but like I said, even though they're the worst half court defense, they limit teams in transition. They don't let opponents get putbacks or get easy easy shots. And because of that, they are they're not that awful um, defensively. And that's kind of what goes together and see how the Mavs are kind of un- underperforming, which you would expect just 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 given their stats and kind of when you watch them. Um, because they're, they've got a good mix of veterans, um, they, they understand how to play, they can be, they can be uh, prickly any night, they can give teams runs for their money occasionally, or at least keep games close for longer than you would expect a team in their position. Um, obviously, uh, it looks like it's, this is going to be Dirk's uh, either second or last or final season, um, and you can definitely see the age on him. Uh, he's been an excellent shooter still, but he kind of struggles everywhere else. Um, he's only playing about 25 minutes a game. He's only grabbing five and a half boards a night. Both of those are the lowest marks of his career since his rookie season. Um, and they have to play uh, Dirk basically exclusively at center just because of the way the league goes and the athleticism and the quickness that has had, that has grown at the four spot. It's pretty much impossible to, to play Dirk at the four. Um, he, he, he gets killed whenever he has to go out there and guard guard guys out too far from the basket. Um He's he's getting killed pretty consistently when you put him in pick and rolls and all that stuff. Um, when he's when his athleticism is kind of put, um, put uh, to the test and and teams are trying to take advantage of him, he kind of folds up. His, his age certainly shows in those situations, but he's still the uh, the the the, sh- the big shooter from Germany that we know and love. Um, he's he's he keeps defenses off balance. Um, he's shooting actually a career high from three. Um, at 42%, um, it's 0.420 currently, and his next best his best season is 0.421. So basically the same as well. And he's also got a career high and effective field goal percentage at 55%, which is about two percentage points higher than his career um, high before this season. So it's good to see that uh, Dirk, despite his age and you know his deficiencies, we get to s- still see him light up the scoreboard um, occasionally, and he's just as uh, deadly as ever uh, shooting threes, which definitely adds to the Mavs offense. Um, Having him and basically playing center gives them a uh, stretch center um, so that they can play maybe a bruiser um, at four, someone who can make up for Dewitsky's uh, sorry, um, lack of athleticism and uh, defense. Um, Dennis Smith has kind of been up and down. Um, obviously, coming into here, it looked like he was going to be probably one of the more exciting rookies. A lot of people thought he was going to compete for the rookie of the year. He's not quite there. Um, most rookie of the year lists kind of leave him off the five-person cutoff kind of right there battling with uh, Lonzo just off the top five list but he shows some athletic flashes he's he's thrown down some sick sick dunks um he shows some brilliance in and out but he's obviously still figuring the league out just still trying to get out the type of player he's going to be um but he is the second leading scorer on the Mavs at about 14 points per game um um and and, but that you know that that's kind of up and good and bad too um obviously Harrison Barnes is their leading scorer but um, with a rookie that's not quite gotten it as your second leading score and your franchise cornerstone aging and not really able to put it up consistently despite his shooting. Um, that's kind of what you have with the Mavs is you've got a team that's got some mismatched, some rookies, uh, some younger guys, some role-playing veterans, and so we're kind of towards the bottom of the league. And because of that, um, the Mavs are currently are definitely looking towards the future, planning for that. They, they sit fourth in the lottery, and um, more likely than not, we'll, we'll finish with we'll have a top five pick come June in a draft that's 
looking to be pretty pretty stacked. Um, I've talked about it a couple times, and I think it'll be a pretty good draft, but we'll we'll see what happens. Um, the Mavs are kind of in a position to make some moves here at the deadline if they want to. They have four expiring contracts, including uh, Nerlens Noel, who's been kind of floundering on the bench. It seems like things are not going well for him down in Dallas. Him and Rick Carlisle seem to be at odds, and as a result, he's not playing. So the, the only drawback to him not playing is his uh, his value is, is, is down in the gutter because of that, and so they probably can't get much for him, but he's worth thinking about as a piece that they could look to move because he could help the right team. Um, they also could move Josh McGoberts or Devin Harris um, and trying to get some ass- assets back. Um, j- just when it comes to making moves for the Mavs, it's kind of hard to project them. Um, obviously, you don't want to, they don't want to go out and put together a bunch of expiring contracts to try and get like a stud or a star player. Um, that's just not the position they want to be in because of the timeline they're going to be on with like slowly starting to rebuild. Um, probably around Dennis Smith, um, and you would have thought Nerlens Noel, but at this time probably doesn't look like Nerlens Noel. Um, you know, you could see him involved in a bunch of different trades. I've definitely seen some some uh, people on Twitter and some uh, writers throughout trades where the Mavs get involved, and that they're sending Wes Matthews somewhere or something like that to get you know some picks or some young assets in exchange by sending uh, Matthews to a to a contender. Um, I could definitely see that happening. Um, he does have a bigger contract; he's not ex- an expiring deal. And he's not, certainly not been the same player since his Achilles tear, but that would not surprise me if that's kind of the way they go is trying to deal him to get some young picks. But um, because of their uh, large amount of expiring deals, it, it, it's not surprising at all that the Mavs might want to make a move in uh, the trade deadline. You know, people have mentioned you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan officially said he wants to go to the Rockets, but he was signed with the Mavs a couple years ago before the whole Clipper agency debacle so it wouldn't be surprising to see him maybe consider going to the Mavs if they wanted him although he also doesn't really fit their timeline with Dennis Smith because he's getting up there in age as well he's about 30 so we'll kind of see how the how it plays out but uh and Mark Cuban's always ready to wheel and deal and I, I, I don't expect him to stand pat at the deadline all right so to move on to the second team we have the Memphis Grizzlies uh the Grizzlies are uh, 16 and 29 uh they're 12th in the west uh they're five and five and five in their last 10 um, despite their record kind of improving of late, they've got a couple wins this past week. Um, they, they've still been one of the worst teams in the league, and this is largely because um, the team has just kind of been destroyed by injuries, um, mainly to Mike Conley. Uh, Conley's been out since about uh, November 17th with an Achilles injury, and there's just like currently no real prognosis as to when he might return. Um, we've seen some statements from him, and he seems to insist pretty strongly that he will be back before the end of the season, but... For obvious reasons, that's uh, debatable just because um, not getting much information. He's not really doing, we're not seeing him get better, you know, not seeing videos of him leaking practicing completely or what. So it's hard to tell where exactly he is in his rehab station and if he actually will be able to get back. Um, Because Memphis has basically been able to, had to play the majority of the season without their main uh, contributor. They've been predictably pretty bad on offense. Um, They're 24th offensively uh, with a 105.7 rating. Um, they're 26th ranked in effective field goal percentage. Um, their defense is slightly better at 17th, but still not great. Um, however, they are the uh, worst team uh, when it comes to fouling, as they are sending opponents to the line at the highest rate in the league. They're allowing opponents 25 made free throws per 100 made field goals, which is pretty crazy. Um, we'll see uh, how that flips for the best offensive team later on in the podcast. But um, And they're also allowing opponents to grab 27% of their own misses. Um, I've talked about Memphis a little bit before just because uh, because of the Conley injury and the Gasol and the firing of Fisdale. They've been, they've been kind of in the news, but uh, 
kind of fizzled out of the news, but a big part of their struggles, <clears throat> not only is this, the Conley injury, is just the thinness of their roster. Um, Gasol, Conley, and Chandler Parson are all making $24 million, $22 million or more, um, and they're all getting $2 million increases next year, and they're all on the books until the end of the 2019-2020 season. So um, Memphis is pretty solidly capped out with these three guys who are going to represent around 75% of their cap. And um, when you have a situation like this, your bench is thin because you have to fill it out with guys willing to take a little money and or guys on rookie deals. And so you see something like where Dylan Brooks, who's uh, has played the fourth most minutes, and it's really the third most minutes because you, you don't probably don't count Conley. And so that's what, what happens. Um, Tyreek Evans, who's kind of bounced around, is having a career year. But when you know Tyreek Evans has been pretty solidly your second best player, you're probably not going to be in a good position. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, but because Evans is playing well, his expiring deal makes him um, attractive for trade reasons. Uh, a lot of contenders might want a guy like him who's, who's proved to be able to create his own shot and kind of do whatever uh, and create shots for others. Um, that's basically what Memphis has got out of him this year, especially with Conley kind of out and not in the lineup. Um, and Evans is on a cheap aspiring deal, too. He's only making $3.29 million, which is pretty good. So he definitely could be someone, um, probably a trade target. I don't expect Memphis, if they couldn't find a trade with Evans, they're not going to buy him out and put him on the buyout market. Um, just because that money is so little, it doesn't really make sense for them to do that. Um, I kind of correlate uh, Memphis's position currently to like where the Nets were a couple years ago. Um, they have a couple guys taking up the majority of their cap, and then, then the, the rest of the team is kind of thin and filled with filler veterans and young guys um the only difference here is the memphis has their draft picks and the nets didn't so the Mem so memphis is certainly wants to go to go towards um you know a position where they're building for the future and kind of going there gasol's getting up there in age conley's middling in age um and parsons is kind of in the middle of age but it looks like um it's hard to expect what they're going to get from Conley. Obviously, when all three of those guys are healthy, they're going to be able to compete and, and fight for, you know, like a low-level playoff spot. But when one of them, especially the best one, Conley, is out, they, they just fall off a cliff. And and so, and now they've all they've all had injury issues um, in the past. I saw the least amount, but Chandler Parsons has certainly had his injury woes. And Conley, at least with an Achilles tear or Achilles injury that we know is not necessarily a tear, that gives us an issue that that can be a, a, a nagging injury. We saw Kobe get hit with it and it hurt him for his last couple seasons with Matt Wes Matthews has not been the same player since tearing, since tearing his Achilles. And so while it's probably not a tear for Conley, any injury to the Achilles is very touch and go. It can put you in a position where, um, you're not, uh, you're not going to be the same player as you were. And so it's hard for them to see a future of competing at the top levels with this core. Um, but they do have a ton of money committed to it. Um, and so with that in mind, they might look to make a deal or two. Um, when Right when the Fizdale firing happened, there were a lot of rumors, oh, is Gasol going to get moved as well? Try to get move off him and just kind of build with new new stuff, uh, especially moving him to the Spurs. That didn't materialize, and those, those thoughts have kind of subsided from the public consciousness. But it's still possible that Memphis looks to move him at the deadline, although that's not what I would expect them to do. Um, they do have two expirings in Brandon Wright and James Enos that they could move. Um, I'm sure... I'm. Both of those could probably help a contender in a low-level, like, deep bench sort of way. But, you know, for Memphis, they're, you know, 6th, 7th, and 8th men areas, whereas uh, a, a contending team would want them to be ninth or 10th men or a gadget guy to come in a certain way. So they could probably um, get a little bit of value, but it, it, it's hard to see what they do. Um, 
I would say if Connolly was healthy and they weren't sure how this team was going to go for the rest down the road, they might look to move Connolly similarly to how Charlotte is planning on moving Kemba, but his injury throws that completely out of whack. Um, so I, th- I think Memphis is probably the hardest one of these teams to kind of prognose for how they're going to handle this deadline. Um, I could see them making a move, um, maybe try to double down on getting some assets, something along those lines, but it's going to be very hard because they're capped out and because a lot of their pieces are just not going to be attractive to other teams, um, even their top pieces, um, because of the massive contracts. So uh, we'll see what happens with them. All right, and moving on to our third team in the Southeast, the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, the Pelicans are 24-21. and 21. Uh, They're 7th in the West, um, they're, but they're only a game and a half above ninth, so they're not solidly in the playoff race. They're still in the in the thick of it and still need to continue to play well. Um, the Pelicans are actually one of only two teams to place two players on the all-star starting rosters. Obviously, the ro- starting rosters only feature 10 players, so two teams doing that is pretty impressive, and the Pelicans being one of them is good. Uh, the Warriors are the only other team with Durant and Curry. The Pelicans have placed both Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins on the starting all-star starters, which is kind of how I had it when I was thinking of my all-star ballot. That's the way I would have put it, uh, set it up. I, I, I thought um, Cousins was more deserving over Aldridge, although that can be debated for sure. But uh, Davis and Ald- and and Cousins are both having monster seasons. Cousins is is averaging 25.2 points, 6, 12.6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.6 steals, and 1.6 blocks per game. He's actually shooting 35% from three-point range, and he's shooting like five or six threes a game. It's pretty impressive. Davis has had a string of monster games recently, but is averaging 26.5 points, 10.6 rebounds, a steal, and two blocks per game. Um, And they're both getting to the free throw line about eight times a game. Cousins and Davis basically just represent the new Twin Towers. Um, They're absolutely a a dominant duo. And in an NBA that's kind of going to small ball, they they just consistently wear opponents out. Um, Most teams in the league just do not have the personnel to handle them. and especially when you, even when you look at the Western Conference, many of the Western Conference playoff teams don't have the personnel to handle them either. And and I don't even mean handle as in they have two bigs to put on there and just kind of, you know, they know you're going to get destroyed, but at least you have big bodies to kind of provide some resistance. I'm saying most teams don't even have the big bodies to provide resistance. I mean, even if you think about like the Warriors or the Rockets, the Rockets could put out uh, Capella and Nene, but that's not a lineup that they've deployed um, consistently this year, and so you don't think that's a, a lineup they would necessarily turn to just because of that would kill their um, three-point shooting spacing game and their offense. And the Warriors, you know, they do have a couple centers, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Warriors, you know, drop in Jordan Bell in the offense in the starting lineup and let Durant, Bell, and Draymond Green kind of figure out who was going to guard who and switch whatever they wanted to do. They're still at a disadvantageous position considering both Davis and Cousins hover around seven feet tall. Um... The Pelicans' offense is their strong suit. Uh, it's uh, it's sixth in the league at 110 points per 100 possessions. Uh, they're the second ranked in effective field goal percentage, 55.9, um, and their net rating is ninth in the league at plus 1.6. Um, the issue with the Pelicans has just been their wing play. Um, they have Drew Holiday, who's been really good for them, and Etwan Morris is, has kind of gotten hotter and hotter as the season goes goes on. Currently shooting the ball, shooting uh, 44 percent from three, and is is and has been real hot of late. And so those two those two wings have have paired to be a pretty good duo to play alongside Cousins and Davis, but kind of no one else really has. Um, and that, that, that's where the that's where the Pelicans' worries come. They don't have enough solid wings, and for the most part, it's just kind of plug and chug. These, these wings that are going to come in and kind of do something, but not great. Um, you know, you have Rondo, who's been all right. 
um, Dante Cunningham, uh, Ian Clark, just kind of a variety of wings that just haven't done exactly what the Pelicans need them to do. And it's a, it's a clear weakness. Teams like, wow, the, the Pelicans can exploit just about every team down low. Just about every team, especially all the playoff teams, can exploit them on the wing. I mean, think about it. They don't have anyone to guard Curry or Clay. They don't have anyone to guard Harden or Chris Paul. Um, they don't, or Eric Gordon. They don't have any, anyone to guard Jimmy Butler. They don't have any anyone to guard. And you can kind of keep going with with all the prominent wings in the Western Conference and in the NBA as a whole. Um, and that, that's kind of why I expect them to be active at the deadline. Um, you know, earlier this year was talk about will they move DeMarcus. This DeMarcus is an expiring deal. It looks less and less like that's the case. It seems like they're going to try and probably try and convince him to stay with how well he's playing. Um, but it all kind of depends on his relationship with Anthony Davis. If him and Anthony and Davis don't have a have a great relationship, then I could see uh, Davis consenting. You know what? Just go ahead and move him, and we'll just kind of figure things out um, as long as you can get good value for him. But they seem to kind of be clicking as a duo, and it would make sense for them to kind of keep him where he is. Um, other than Demarcus, they have five expiring deals at rel- at varying degrees of bargain pricing wise and so i think they could they will be active in kind of moving trying to get a better wing um whatever it takes to do that um like i said um they have two of the best 10 players in the league um and kind of arguably in my opinion two of the top six or seven so far this season and so they're gonna they're gonna be a, a, a hard to handle in any playoff series but they're they're gonna be outmatched any wing spot while most teams don't have the bigs to match up with them a team like the spurs or minnesota will figure out a way they they have enough bigs um download a hang and then they'll figure out a way to just kind of abuse um the pelicans wing play and kind of knock them out of the playoffs so i uh, i'll see how see what they'll do at the deadline but i definitely expect them to move in some way to kind of improve their wings uh for more consistency to pair alongside davis and cousins and at least at the very bare minimum at least more shooting um outside of each one more and drew holiday so they have extra shooting not only off the bench and in the starting lineup to just kind of create the spacing all right, and so now um, moving on to San Antonio, um, the Spurs are thirty and seventeen. Uh, they're third in the West. They've, they're five and five in their last ten. Um, there's not much to say other than just the Spurs are just the Spurs. Um, Popovich is kind of solidifying himself as probably arguably the best coach, not only in NBA history but maybe in coaching history. Um, he's just a genius. Um, he's gotten them to be third in the West this good, despite uh, Kawhi Leonard has only played nine games and is back to being out indefinitely. And so we're not sure what we'll get from them. Um, their offense hasn't been great. Um, it's only 17th, uh, 106.7 rating, um, and it's they only have a 24th ranked effective field goal percentage. But this is where kind of the numbers, I don't think, tell the whole story, especially with the Spurs. Um, a lot of the, what the Spurs do so well on offense is just um, more eye test. Their movement is great. Their timing is great. Their execution is great. And whether or not the shot goes in is important in the in the game, but I'm sure it's not the most important thing in Popovich's mind, and that, that's, that's the key with the Spurs. They're going to run their stuff, and they're going to get open shots uh, consistently. And anyone, any time, any any player on their team can any game show up and show out. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what you worry with. It makes them very hard to scout, very hard to prepare for because they run their stuff so well. And then anyone on their team is going to make the shots they need to make. Um, their their defense has been elite. Um, it's the number two overall defense with a, with a 103.6 rating, um, and they're top eight in three of the four um, specific factors. Um, they're the best team when it comes to f- come to fouling. Um, they've only uh, let opponents get 15.7 uh, free throws for every 100 field goals. Um, and Pop's defensive scheming has just kind of proven to be ex- excellent. I talked about Pop earlier this year, and he's had a couple of interviews where he says he doesn't focus on the other team as much when it comes to specific sou- scouting and specific actions. He talks more about, we're going to learn how to 
we're going to learn and drill defending general actions and then just kind of make minor tweaks depending on who we're playing. And that's clearly proven to be um, one of the better ways of handling it um, as the Spurs have been consistently been an elite defense despite um, uh, a team that, especially in the last couple of years, has had a lot of moving pieces. Um, they're also top 10 in three-point accuracy, and but they, have, um, they do go to the mid-range shots and get open mid-range shots whenever they can because the league is kind of fighting against mid-range shots a lot of teams like the spurs are being like okay well if you're just going to give it to it to us we're going to take it and we're going to make it and so that's been key for their offense um like i said with their defense it's been elite both transition and in half court um and like i said earlier with the offense but also with the defense it's the it's proven how good pop's scheme and system is the fact that they can just plug in whoever they need to um and get contributions from all all shapes and sizes you know if you go through their list of their roster there's a lot of names that you don't recognize immediately but have had good big games guy like Bryn Forbes you know Brandon Paul these are guys that have kind of earned minutes and played solid minutes for the Spurs despite kind of being unknown names and despite most most NBA even diehard fans being like wait who is that and so that's kind of in the key to the Spurs um because Kawhi's been out, they've had to have someone else step up, and that has certainly been uh, Aldridge. Like I mentioned, there's a big debate over should Aldridge be the all-star starter over Cousins. Cousins ended up getting it, but Aldridge, you know, definitely put up a uh, put up a reason. You know, 22.6 points and 8.6 rebounds a game, but his kind of impact goes beyond stats. He's just been the conduit for what the Spurs do offensively, um, kind of working in that Tim Duncan role, and just to kind of mixing the Tim Duncan role that the Spurs want from their offense with also Pop kind of acquiescing to Aldridge and doing and making sure Aldridge gets puts in the best positions for him. Um, this came out to light like how the, they had changed because this past offseason Aldridge became the first player playing for Coach Popovich to request a trade. And uh, Pop said, you know, in an interview, he was very when he's like, yeah, we realized we were doing the wrong thing with him. We were not putting him in the best positions and that's what's making him disgruntled. And so we changed it up and it's, it's worked for them. Um, I think that uh, it's pretty pretty safe bet to say the Spurs will continue to excel kind of in the shadows for the rest of the season. I think they're going to be careful with Kawhi. They know um, what's most important is having him for the playoffs, not having him for the regular season, and they're just going to try to work. Um, I also I don't think we'll, we're going to see everything that the Spurs have offensive and defensively until the playoffs come. Um, they proved that last year, and they'll I think they'll certainly prove it this year. Pop is going to keep things close to the vest and then deploy what he needs to deploy um, based on the playoff situation. And I think that's why I think the Warriors and the Rockets, especially the Rockets, both still have to worry about them. The Warriors have proven that they can beat the Spurs even without Kawhi. Um, that's kind of an asterisk. But the Rockets have not been able to beat the Spurs with or without Kawhi, especially in the playoffs. Um, last year's collapse was a, a big sign of that. And I think the Spurs know that, and they know they know how to scheme for the Rockets and the Warriors in general. But... Um, and because of that, they're going to be a threat no matter what. Uh, whether or not they have Kawhi, it doesn't matter. The Spurs are going to scheme and just kind of be a step ahead of everyone. And so that's worth worrying about. Um, and then I, finally, um, before jumping to the Rockets from the Spurs, I kind of want to touch on the Kimball Walker. Um, there has been some some hints here and there that the Spurs might be a landing spot for Kimba. And I, def- I certainly think that's possible. Um, I would kind of, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kimba um land with the spurs just because uh it'd be a good place for him to succeed i think he could add to them but then again it's hard to imagine the spurs trying to plug in a new guy especially someone with kimba's game who's probably entirely different um from what they do as a team um just because he's more one-on-one um in the middle of the season 
and it's because of this, the fact that the Spurs and the Hornets are both capped out, they're going to have to make salaries work in this, so that likely means the Spurs are going to have to either give off a bunch of young assets, which is not in the Spurs' way, or they got to deal away Patty Mills or Tony Parker or someone like that, and then it's just kind of, do you want to take an integral piece who knows your system through and through to plug in this new guy who's obviously more talented but doesn't know the system, so that'll be an interesting debate we see happen. And so the final team in the Southwest will be the Houston Rockets. Um, they're 32-12 and 12, uh, with a win last night against the Warriors. Um, they're second in the West, 7-3 uh, and three in their last 10. Um, they, they've clearly proven themselves to be a serious contender in the championship. Um, and definitely, I think, um, whoever comes out of the West at this point, whether it be the Spurs, Rockets, or the Warriors, will probably be favored in the finals, whether or not the Cavs make it there. Um, Rockets have the second best net rating, plus 8.5. The best offense, 115.1. And the ninth best defense, 106.7. They get to the uh, line at the highest rate in the league, uh, 24 free throws per 100 made field goals. Um, they're all in on Mori Ball. They take uh, only 16.9% of their shots in the mid-range, the least amount. And the most threes by far, 47% of all their shots are from three. Um, defensively, they've done a, they've done a good, good job. Um, they're pretty pretty solid in defense so far. Like I said, they're the ninth best defense, which is great, um, especially from Mike D'Antoni team. Um, however, they are the worst transition defense team in the league, allowing teams to add 4.5 points per 100 possessions uh, via transition. Um, however, their offense just is just been out of this world, and it's just incredible. Um, when Harden and Paul play together, their offense jumps to 117.9 points per 100 possessions for all of their lineups together. But the Rockets' version of the death lineup, which is Paul, Harden, Trevor Reza, uh, P.J. Tucker, and Clint Capella, has a net rating of plus 12.4 and an offense of 123.5 in 311 minutes together. So that's a big enough sample size to kind of assume that that's kind of what we'll see from that lineup. Um how and the, their offense is just insane. Um, it's almost like this. The it's almost like when you're playing an old video game and you've kind of found the glitch in the game, and so you just keep going to the same thing time and time and again because you know it's going to work. And that, that's kind of where the the Rockets are right now. They found a glitch in the game, and they're going to keep hammering it and hammering it and hammering it until anybody figures out a way to stop it. And so far, no one really has. Um, despite that, um, their 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 season is going to hang on. Their defense ability um, and the ability to please solid. If their defense, you know, plays at a you know top fifteen. I mean, right now it's a top ten defense, but you know, top fifteen or better combined with their historic offense, then they're going to be able to beat most teams and give the Warriors a run for their money. However, if the bottom falls out of their defense, then it doesn't matter how many points they score. They're never going to be able to match what they give up to a team like the Warriors. Especially if they want to win the championship, their defense is going to have to hold up. Um, that's despite the fact Harden's having an MVP season. Um, he's certainly the MVP front runner at this point. Um, he's averaging uh, three, 31.5 points and nine assists per game and has a 29.8 uh, PER, which is right on, right off that 30 PER cusp that is the record setting kind of level. Um, Eric Gordon and Chris Paul are averaging twenty are averaging nearly 20 points a game and adding that. Um, and then the Rockets obviously have a battalion of three point shooting wings. Um, Clint Capella, I don't think it's talked about enough, and he definitely deserves it. Um, he's been a, the perfect pick and roll man, and he works exactly the way they need him to in his in their system. And he has flourished as a player and a rebounder. Um, he's in the he's in the ninety fourth percentile in offensive rebounding, grabbing twelve point six percent of offensive rebounds, and the ninety seventh in defensive re rebounding, uh, grabbing twenty nine point one. So as much as Harden, Paul, Eric Gordon are all critical to this team, um, they wouldn't be where they are with, without Clint Capella playing as well as he does. And you know something like a Clint Capella injury would torpedo their uh, finals chances just as, as much as a Harden or Paul injury would. The stats speak for themselves, but the thing to talk about with the Rockets is they're kind of their offense is based on hitting threes, which a lot of 
people say you know can go in and out um which is kind of i think we're getting farther and farther away from that being like the commonplace whereas if you're a consistent three-point shooting team you're going to be consistent for the most of the year but you know there could be a game where you do do just can't make anything but i think free throw shooting is the bigger thing um it's been proven that when the playoffs have come around time and time again for the rockets the free throw shooting is becomes less and less of a strength in that you know the refs call it a little tighter they might let the other teams get away with a little bit more physicality and then the Rockets' biggest strength can become a liability. Um, we've seen that in the playoffs and um, before, and that couples with the fact that both Chris Paul and James Harden have played well in the playoffs but just haven't been able to get the job done with their team in the past. Um, I specifically, for the Rockets specifically, because it's basically this roster with a couple additions, what the Spurs did to them last year and that the Spurs figured out exactly what, what they had to do to just throw the Rockets' offense out of, out of sync, and then the Rockets completely collapsed. So will that happen again to the Rockets? Um... I don't think so. I think with the with Paul's leadership, he'll be able to help them stay the course and navigate those times. But it's still a question that is out there and won't be answered until the playoffs start in April. So um, they're going to challenge the Warriors. Um, I think last night you saw both teams weren't completely healthy, so I don't think it's a perfect barometer. I don't think both teams are playing all out, so I also don't think that's a perfect barometer. But the Rockets did pull out the win. Um, the Warriors just weren't up to the task, and I think that's what we'll see in a series. We'll see in a series that's close and hinges on game after game and it'll be a seven game series um especially if both teams are healthy it's going to be a bang out series um and it's it's it'll be a series that makes me wish that the nba had switched to a one through 16 seating so that we could see the rockets and the warriors in the finals and not in the western conference finals because these these two teams will should be the ones deciding the nba championship not what the winner of this team and x team from the east so um there you have it there's the southwestern conference or southwestern division um I didn't talk much about the Rockets making a trade because I just don't think they will make a deal, but um, it's hard to put it past Maury to not make a move if he thinks it's necessary. So I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast. We'll be back next week um, with uh, another Western Conference division. Uh, So I'll talk to you then.